Hey, welcome everybody. It's time once again for another episode of WVU Marketing Communications Today. Brought to you by the good folks at West Virginia University and their School of Data Marketing Communications. Program sits squarely at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and modern marketing practices. With our modern marketing magician, hey, you've got you look like you're in a pretty snazzy place there, uh, Cindy Greenglass. You look like you're in a museum or something. I see artwork there, and well, it's nice being able to work from home. <laughs> Must be nice to have a home that looks like a museum. Oh my goodness, here, this oh. looks pretty nice there. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's a lot nicer than sitting in the office, right? That sterile office environment. <laughs> exactly. Uh, shelter at home has its privileges. <laughs> it does have its privileges, exactly. Right. Who did you bring in to share this experience with here today virtually? I'm thrilled today to welcome Bob Bryant to our show. Mr. Bob Bryant is CEO and president of 500 Festival and only the fourth person to hold that position in 58-year history of the organization. Uh, he's a veteran sports management executive, having served as tournament director of the ATP Tour, BB&T Atlanta Open, and in, been in executive positions with USTA, professional hockey, and arena football league. And he's got a really interesting background. And I really look forward to us talking about what COVID-19 and the new CDC guidelines have done to large events and gatherings and discuss what what the future looks like for the live event industry. Before we welcome in Bob, I just would like to do a shout out. Congratulations to all of our WVU graduates who graduated this month. And while you were not able to walk on campus, we have been virtually cheering you on. Congratulate you on your achievements, undergrad, graduates, and all of you who have worked so hard to achieve your degrees. And that's a shout out to everyone in education for all your hard work. And I have to throw the door open because we've got a large crowd that's gathered to say, uh, to cheer them on here. I just want to thank you. Thank you. I just want to let everybody know that big crowd here (laughs) supporting your graduates there. Thank you, Paul. We appreciate that. You won't be forgotten, graduates. And so, Bob, let me welcome you in. Um, We would love to talk about when your business is producing large-scale public gatherings and we now are in a world where CDC guidelines have mandated that we can't have festivals, parades, concerts, and large events. Where do we go from here? So welcome, Bob. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Could you start by telling us a little bit about 500 Festival and what the organization does for those of us who may not be familiar with it? I think outside of Indiana, it's probably uh, very little known. And at times, even here in Indiana, uh, there's a blurred line between the Indy 500 as an event itself and what we are. But we're a uh, nonprofit community organization that was founded in 1957. The basic premise from civic and community leaders at the time was that they realized there was a lot of equity in being the home of the Indy 500 race. And as that was growing both in ratings but also in public attendance and driving economic impact, there was a notion of how do we leverage that equity and that value for greater good in the community. We operate as a nonprofit with a mission that is basically to enrich lives, create positive community impact, and celebrate the Indy 500. And over that, going on now 65 years, that's grown into where we produce uh, events and programs. The events now have participation of over half a million people a year. 
So in an interesting way, we're now producing events from a memorial service and a parade and one of the largest half marathons in the country and a, and a variety of other things that are attracting pretty much the same attendance that's actually going to be at the track in May is now uh, participating and attending the events that surround that event. Wow. I had no idea that that was the background of the Indy 500 and of your organization. That is fascinating. And I didn't know that you were a nonprofit. So you're a 501c3? We, we're actually a 501c4. We also have okay. a foundation that is a C3. And I'll tell you, it's an interesting history. The only other similar organization in the country is the Kentucky Derby Festival. In Louisville, they had a similar event that the, the entire state was getting to be known for and was obviously attracting a global audience. And leaders in that community got together, and, and they assembled the year prior to the 500 Festival being formed. And I think that was due to some community leaders from Indianapolis taking a trip down to the Derby and seeing a parade and wanting to know more about what that part of the community engagement was all about. And so now we've kind of grown up together as two significant organizations tied to a globally iconic sporting event, if you will, that are just adding those community elements. Now that we understand a little bit more about yourself and, and your organization and tremendous impact that you have with all of your events. What are the early responses to the recommendation to suspend your events? And what are you hearing for like-minded organizations like yours? And how are they responding to this new reality of what we're living in uh, state by state? Well, I think like everybody, this industry and certainly what we do, you're caught a little bit by surprise. You have event cancellation insurances and you account for weather issues and, and even security related issues in more recent times. But even within those cancellation policies, not many people were thinking about global pandemics and a health related issue that would create this kind of national and global closure. So I think like everyone else, the first thing you do is you go into crisis mode and, you, and you're really looking at financial impact and how you're going to respond to that and how you can limit the negative side of that impact. But quickly after that, you start, for our purposes, not being a for-profit company, and you, you kind of get into then mission mode, which is why do we do what we do and how is that going to impact our ability to create that positive impact in the community? What's left that we can continue to do and how can we uphold things that were in-person events that you simply cannot have in any degree? From that March 15th order, it's a, it was a stay-at-home. You're talking about no public gatherings of any kind at all. And then you start to look out and say, well, how long is that going to occur? And I think that's been the moving target for everyone is not, you know, then not even having clarity on do you move events to a later date? When you move events to a later date, are you running into other events that had already been scheduled? How are you going to impact those? Can you maintain your sponsorships? Can you maintain your ticket holders and registration participants and things like that? And then I think as you come to the realization that um, you're not even necessarily safe and how far out you might move things this year, I think the next step for us was just to say, well, we're about providing experiences for people. And typically those are some large-scale in-person experiences. But how can we do that in a new format and potentially at a different scale? And I think that was really the next step for us, which was, Really, it starts with an organization that, as we would get closer to the month of May, would be very operationally focused and logistically focused. 
the now being marketing focused because where is that content going to reside? It's going to be social media. It's going to be online. It's going to be website. Those connections are now going to occur in a digital space. And so that was an interesting transformation for us to realize that we can still be relevant and we can provide relevant content, but it's going to be in a very different format. You know, we've um, been having a lot of conversations with similar type organizations. Think of institutions like museums and zoos and botanical gardens, you know, other locations that are closed that have subscribers or members and are taking content online and making it a free. And the challenge of value when you take your content online. How do you migrate from that in-person to the online, go virtual, so to speak, monetize it or create or sustain value? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think it's even similar to what we've experienced, whether you're talking about a museum or an NFL game. We've always, I think at times in the entertainment realm, you're focused on the content. And I think what this allows us to do is maybe even further focus on the connection. And in some ways, we've gone from museums and even an NFL game where it's not just simply providing the content in a static way. Now people have that ability, obviously, through multiple devices to have more connection to it, to be tweeting about it, commenting about it, sharing photos about it real time while it's happening. And as we engage, obviously, with younger audiences and new generations, we have to continue to go in that direction where the idea of putting out that content or putting on that content, this has actually forced our hand, I think, to go farther faster in how are we actually using Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and how are we using all of the digital realm to make connections because then the people that were participants are actually a part of the content themselves as well. So while that's not necessarily a new concept and that's been present for quite a while, I think this has allowed us, especially as a smaller organization, to make even more of those connections and to recognize that you have to be prepared to respond much more quickly because it's not always content you're producing, but it's content you're simply providing a platform for. So how do you get that out? How do you ensure, obviously, that it's, it's safe and relevant content? But how do you even provide opportunities and experiences for people to connect in that way? And I think one way we did that, the running community has had a concept we have something called the One America 500 Festival Mini Marathon. So that's one of the largest and oldest half marathons in the country. It's roughly 25,000 runners every year. And in the running industry, a lot of times people can't attend the in-person event, but they still want the shirt and the medal. So there had been an introduction of the idea that you could do it virtually. So as long as you run that 13.1 miles on that day on whatever course you can, you send in your results and you can still get that shirt and medal so let's say you've been doing it 10 years in a row and you don't want to miss out on, on that accomplishment and getting those rewards. But this kind of fast-tracked that into, well, now the entire run is going to be virtual. And so how are we going to connect with people and how are we going to keep providing platforms from virtual running toolkits to tools like Map My Run and Strava and other things where they can become a part of the community online and they can share what route they ran, they can share the time they finished in, and then they can even create their own content, their own start and finish lines, sometimes their family serving as fans, like giving them opportunities to really just provide that platform where now they're creating their own experience, but them sharing that experience 
is what is sort of involving that community. That's fascinating that you can move that online and then you have to have all these individuals connected. I mean, how many people would participate in a half marathon environment like that? You'd have to figure out how to get them all digitally engaged, capture all that data and all that information real time, all in one day. That sounds like a very large logistical opportunity there. It, it is. And, and then you got to sort of reshape your mindset from that in-person to virtual. And that's when you realize, well, okay, they don't have to run on the same day. They can actually run over a period of time. They can pick the, the weather when it's right for them, the time of day when it's right for them, that we don't have to put the in-person limitations on a virtual event. And so then you start kind of opening up even that those logistics start to change. The response we had was, we will have had over 9,000 people will have run the mini marathon this year, but they will have all done it virtually. They will have done it on their own time, on their own courses, over the course of a three-month period of time. And then we'll, we'll be distributing shirt, medal, and hat and the other rewards they would have normally received. And the amount of social media sharing is phenomenal. And the way some people are going to great lengths to recreate our run takes a full lap around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And so there are people that are recreating the famous yard of bricks and drawing them in chalk on streets and still kneeling down to kiss the bricks and do all the traditions they might have done in the in-person run. They're now doing online and just providing us content in some ways that we couldn't have even dreamed up. And then you realize that you actually have an opportunity for a larger audience because now it's 80% or so of our participation is typically from the state of Indiana. Well, now... People can participate virtually from anywhere. So we added about 15 countries and people from all over. I think we got up to 48 states represented that, that all took on this virtual challenge. And in fact, after we launched it, knowing that there would be the, the in-person event was canceled for the year, we actually got an additional 1,500 reg registrations of people who were drawn to the idea that they didn't have to be there but they like the idea of recreating that experience on their own and getting, again, that reward for, for achieving a, a challenging distance. Well, I can't wait to tell my brother about this. He's a big runner and, and likes to participate in half marathons, and if he doesn't know about it, I'm, I'll be sure to share it with him. We're going to take a very quick break and pass it back to Paul for a, a moment. But when we come back, Bob, I'd like you to think about this question. Where do you see your organization going in the future based on having made some of these changes, these virtual event interim changes and do you see there being a residual effect, long-lasting, to the benefit of your organization when we come out the other side? And Paul, we'll send it back to you. Well, we want to point out that as everything goes online and goes virtual here, so does the Integrate Conference. It's moved online. Marketing communications experts from a variety of industries exploring how and what to say during these unprecedented global pandemic situations. You can view the schedule, you can tune into past episodes, you can virtually act like you're there and not have to miss it this year. So go check it out. That's the online data marketing communications program and their Integrate conference this year online. And of course, we also want you to check out the new digital marketing communications master's degree program because it's fully online. It's always been that way and it can be completed in one year. 
With built-in certifications from platforms like Google and Facebook, you're going to get the latest and greatest information. The program is going to give you both the strategy and skills to reach audiences today on both existing and emerging media and how to handle situations like we're talking about here today. Learn more at marketingcommunications.wvu.edu. All right, we're back with Cindy talking about the topic that everybody has on their mind here. What will happen to these big events, the Indy 500, the half marathon we're talking about here today? Will it ever come back? And if so, how will it be different? Bob, what do you think about that? Will we all go to the Indy 500 next year? (laughs) What are your thoughts on the future of your organization and how it may or may not morph? And will there be a new normal as we move forward? Well, I will say that the Indy 500 still has plans and is hopeful that it will be underway this year on August 23rd. And we're still looking at some of the events that are typically linked up with that race weekend that we may still be able to have in some fashion if we can conduct those safely as a part of that weekend. So there's still some things on the books that are obviously dependent on all of the health-related precautions and directions from the State Department of Health and others as to, to where that goes. But like many events, there's still a later date on the calendar. So we remain hopeful that we'll be able to still have certainly the race experience, if not maybe a few of the other experiences in this community. But I do think that As far as how things look differently, I think we've all learned a lot very quickly about the virtual realm, about the content that we just talked about, and about those connections with participants and with stakeholders. And I think that we're going to continue to see really some dividends, actually, from that, where we recognize that we'll likely always have virtual options to many of our events, that we may even develop some events that are specifically to be virtual only. I could see us getting into fitness or running related challenges and things like that that are becoming quite a bit more prolific right now nationally and even internationally where people want to be able to have that type of participation and be in that sort of online community but have some payoff and some reward for what those achievements are. So I think you're going to see continued connection in the online realm and the digital space in terms of added executions. I think it even opens up If you will, the athletes or entertainers themselves, as you've seen those more personal direct connections in a variety of ways from athletes and from entertainers and celebrities, I think we're just going to continue to grow and continuing to realize that the online space is a relevant space for content. And of course, everybody's challenge, uh, particularly if you're in the for-profit world, is how do you monetize that? Everybody knows they're already looking at ways of distancing and health standards and cleanliness and just what can be done with the venues themselves, so arenas and stadiums and racetracks and things like that, similar to post-9-11 and maybe not in some ways not as simple in terms of like, well, let's have metal detections and let's have clear bags only and no backpacks. And if you think about it, there were reactions that became new standards. And there were costs associated with some of those, if you think about metal detectors and and that kind of stuff. But I think there was protocol that eventually was put into place that every public, you know, first maybe it started with airports and federal facilities, but then it went to arenas and stadiums and venues and things like that. And I think you'll see more of a rollout of that. What are the standards? What are the protocols? What do we need to, to spend? And then what do we need to do to ensure health safety going forward? So even past 
a time in which we we've gotten past coronavirus and there's a vaccine and we're kind of on the other side of that i think health precautions will remain a part of those concerns and i think there'll be more protocol and more regulation that will not only ensure fans and participants that they're in a safe environment but also just create standards that those producing those events can be held accountable to and have as a part of what they promote and what they market. Yeah, it's interesting. A recent study that just came out from live events that 71% of marketers think there'll be an increase in virtual events after the pandemic. And some of the new normal for virtual is going to be hybrid events, right? Virtual events will not replace live events, but they'll pivot towards a combination of virtual and hybrid. It's commonplace to expect an element of virtual alongside a physical event, and that this is now going to allow us to meet our consumer where they want it, like you said, consume the content in meaningful and different ways and extend the life of it beyond what might have been episodic for just an event. And now it can live on in many different ways. So uh, this is what we're hearing from the events professionals all over the country. They see it as a positive. Uh, Maybe it took a little while to get that content and digitize it. And some people found themselves playing catch up during this really quick turn time. But those of us and those of you like you, uh, Bob, who jumped into the digital space and sounds like you've been doing a lot of work in social and online are going to benefit greatly from this in the future from all of us as consumers. So I'd like to thank you for your time this afternoon. It went so fast and uh, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us. We hope we will see you at the Indy 500 in August. Take that half marathon challenge online. I'm I'm going to gear up on my elliptical right now. Maybe I could even get ready for a marathon myself. So stay safe well, and be well. Thank you so much. We'd certainly love to have you participate. Thank you, Bob. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Communications Today, brought to you live from West Virginia University weekly program that sits at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and marketing practice, only on the Funnel Radio Network, for at-work listeners like you.